0: This is a pretty much a foundational introductory sermon that um, next week Mike is going to be preaching, and then after that we're into Advent, and then I'm going to tie those into this one as well. So this is kind of a preparatory sermon. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. If you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 3, we're going to begin there. And I don't know. I'm going to watch the time, and I'm going to see where I get. I might have to hit the eject button early, and, and then. Uh, but so, please understand, if if we don't get to the conclusion, uh, I'm I'm skipping material. So I, uh, it'll it'll make, we'll pull it together. We'll we'll make it work. Let's pray that God would help us in doing this. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word, for you, and we know, Father, that apart from you, we're just train wrecks, we're disasters, our lives are a mess. Father, we won't even turn to you or approach you unless you, by your spirit, bring conviction to our hearts and help us to see and understand our sins. We ask, Father, this morning that we would understand ourselves, we would understand our world, we would understand the nature of life and death. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you ever find yourself wanting the fullness of life in Christ, but find that you're flat, apathetic, indifferent, hey, maybe even almost dead? And not only that, but you find yourself, you're doing poorly. And yet, you do a good job convincing the people around you that everything's just fine. Are you good at that? Are you good at convincing the people around you, everything's great, but you're a mess? We usually get pretty good at that. We become very, very clever, very shrewd, very... Capable of, I know I am, I can smile and everything's great and you have no idea what's going on. And God has made us that way. We have this ability to completely fool the people around us in a lot of ways. If we know how to put it on, if we're not the kind of person, some people wear their emotions on their sleeves, as they say. And so, man, if they're a bit not doing well, you know it immediately. Then others, everything's great, always great. And just have a really good ability to always put that forward. But they could be dying inside and you don't even know. Do you find it easy to confess to others your struggles, your fears, your insecurities, your questions, your problems? Or do you find that incredibly difficult? Isn't it crazy that in the people of, within the family of God, we are more prone to fake it than we are to confess it. We're more prone to let people think that everything's great, because that's where the pressure lies. Because, hey, hey when you're a Christian, you're, you have to have it all together, right? That, and we realize there's pressure. And if there's cultural pressure that way, that's how we live. We just rise to the expectation. And why do we do that? Well, there's several reasons. In truth, I'm afraid you won't accept me. I'm afraid you'll reject me. I'm afraid you'll think less of me. I'm afraid you might laugh at me. I'm afraid. And so I'm controlled by fear. Here's the thing. I also, on the flip side, I don't want to burden you. I don't want to overwhelm you. I don't want to depress you. And so what do I do? I stay trapped in my own prison. And this is very common within the life of church. But we have to understand something. That Christ came. This is is what's ironic about it all. He came that you might have life and have it to the fullness. He, He wants us to know life, eternal when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not talking about just living blissfully forever. It's, it's a, the word life there is in reference to the state of the person's being and soul, full of life forever. Do you ever wonder where this all comes from? Do you ever wonder why we can be so complex? Do you ever wonder why we, we're not experiencing life and what's actually going on in the heart of Christians so often? If you are, then we've turned to the right place. Because Genesis chapter 3 really explains what's happening. It explains it incredibly well. But before we get into the understanding the problem, I want us to quickly understand one thing. When we use the word life, an abundant life, or fullness of life, what do we mean by that? Abundant life is what we have when we have unhindered fellowship with God. And let me prove that to you. In our being united to God in communion with Him, this gives our life, this gives our soul, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, joy, and peace. This is the delight of our soul. The Psalms, I think, express this beautifully. Psalm 63.3 says, Your loving kindness is better than life. Psalm Psalm 16.11 says, which I've quoted often, says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21.6, in reference to the king, says, You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. Psalm 36.7-9, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Fullness of life is the joy, peace, and love our souls crave. And it can only be satisfied in God. There's no other way, you realize there's no other way, absolutely no other way on the planet earth. Men have tried it all. Go read Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He's tried it all. I sought it all. And there's no other way to have fulfillment, to have joy, to have your your soul overflowing than to be in fellowship and communion with God because he himself by definition is life. And this is what union and communion with God was like. And in in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, all they know is life. Life to the fullest. Their souls were fat. Meaning, joy, peace, fulfillment. It was just overflowing. It was great. But as we'll see, Abundant life is always at risk, always at risk, the moment we pre- we're presented with a tempting lie. Genesis chapter 3, let's pick up there, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. More crafty, and he is incredibly crafty. And this is what this they are declaring. What do you think they are? They've been given, and what is it they're to equip the church with? Gospel. They equip them with the gospel. This is primarily what they're being equipped with. And so, when they have, they're equipped with this. What are they to do with this? He goes on to say in verse in verse eleven, chapter four. Back to chapter four, verse eleven, and then twelve. They're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What do they equip them with? The gospel. So parents, you're to be equipped with the gospel. And so you take, as a microcosm in your home, you've been equipped with the gospel. You're to take that gospel and you're to minister it. You're to minister it to your little saints. And it's to be to minister to them within the home. And it wasn't, here's something, that, here's something we have to understand. When I say the word, often this is it's an overused word, isn't it? Gospel. So we use it all the time. We're like, what do you mean by that? It wasn't some generic pie-in-the-sky gospel platitude that simply talked about going to heaven when you die. If I was to, if I was to go around the room and I say, okay, okay, Joel, tell me what is the gospel. And he tells me. And I said, okay, Steve, tell me what, what is the gospel. And he tells me. And we go around, we would get something or... Something generally about Jesus' death, right? His burial, resurrection, and ascension, and its implications, and we would talk about that. And to some degree, uh, there, there's truth in all of it. But typically, when the gospels thought of it's, it's really the issue it's it's seeking to deal with is that here it is: you are under the wrath of God, and you want to be free from that and go to heaven when you die. It's the pivotal point. And so if you want to go to heaven when you die and be free from the wrath of God, what do you need to do? You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, right? And so this is what I'm saying. It's true, but it's, the gospel is so much more than that. It has implications to every single area of life. The gospel is needed in all things. And by gospel, we can say short, it's shorthand for all the work of Christ. What Jesus has come to do. And Jesus didn't just come to do to to get people to heaven. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus said, I have come to set the prisoner free. I have come to set at liberty those who are held captive. I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I have come to proclaim good news. Jesus and what he's come to do has implication and application to every single aspect of our lives. But you know to realize the fact that Jesus is king of heaven and earth, it has implications for how we live. And this is, this is it's, it's a robust gospel that has to get into all of our lives in every nook and cranny. And so as parents, when we're equipped with the gospel and understand a good, thorough understanding of the gospel, we're then able to go and minister the gospel. But if we're not equipped with it, we're not able to minister it. And so we, first of all, the very first step is that we need to get equipped with the gospel. And then now we have to ask the question, okay, so you get equipped with the gospel for what? For the work of ministry, so that you would minister this gospel to one another. And then what happens? What does this look like? How does, how does it describe what this ministry is like? Well, he goes on to actually describe what it's like. If you look at the end of verse 12, going on to 13 and following. It says, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of, God, of, of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what is the point that we need to be equipped with the gospel to minister to one another so that What? so that we would all grow up and be built up into mature manhood, into the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is what we want in each person. And this is exactly what Paul prayed for in, in, back in Romans chapter, uh, Sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Throughout this whole series, I've been given a benediction at the end of the service. And it comes from this Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. And if you go there and look at it, just swing back there, Paul prays for them. And he, what does he pray? That He prays that, he says, For this reason, in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you what? To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that you might understand and know what? The height, the depth, the width. Of the love of Christ. And what happens when you get that and understand this all? Verse 19. End of verse 19 he says, And that, know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays for them that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, that the fullness of Christ might be manifested in them fully. Completely. So they have fullness of Christ, fullness of life. You know, too often we think of a person, they hear the gospel, they believe, they get assurance that they'll go to heaven when they die, and then we get on with the rest of life. And so, when life is filled with trials, temptations, frustrations, pain, anxiety, stress, depression, insecurity, etc. Do you know what we don't think of? We don't think of the application of the gospel toward it we think of the life management skills, counseling, pills, coping mechanisms, etc. If you think of the issues that are go on in the life of, of the people of God, the struggles and the stuff that's happening, do we do we think of the gospel as the solution? Be honest about that. Do we? Do we think that the, the solution, the answer, what they need is the gospel? Well, no, because the gospel, it seems, in so many ways, is just addressing that eternal issue of whether or not we'll go to heaven when we die. Which it does, but so much more than that. And I'm convinced one of the biggest problems we have is that we're not equipped with the gospel and understanding it so that we know it, the, the gospel deals with, you know what, it deals with Depression. It deals with anxiety. It deals with mental disorders. It deals with people's issues in the world. Jesus came. He came to set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set at liberty those who are held in bondage. He came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Now, he's not messing around, but it sure seems like it. He's not telling a lie. It sure seems like it. Do you look around? Do you see the fullness of life overflowing? Do we see ourselves captive, set free, set at liberty? When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Do we see people with the joy of the Lord in their life, understanding what Christ has done for them? I don't. I don't. I see so many people, so many Christians... Going about life, looking for remedies, having problems, having struggles, having issues and things going on in their life, and you listen to the where are they' are going for their answers, and we're going to we 're going to self help we 're going to medication going, you know don 't get me wrong, you think, "Oh man, Dean, are you against medication of any sort no i 'm not, but issues of the soul I am against medications for issues of the soul, and that I will say boldly. Because the remedy is Jesus. The issue that needs to take place and be healed is it comes from Jesus. As I believe it addresses every area of life. And when we understand this, and we understand the point is that we come to this fullness, this full stature of Christ. We come to know, know the fullness of Christ. And that's what Paul prays for. That they would be filled with the fullness of God. Oh Lord, that they would understand this. And when we get that as parents and we're equipped with that kind of gospel, then we can address the issues of our children the same way. So fundamentally, we have to understand that life is taken away when we believe a lie which leads to sin and find people entrapped. Because sin brings with it a certain kind of death. So here, let me give you an example. So when your children... Are insecure around their peers. You, you see sh- signs of insecurity. Does the gospel have anything to deal, do with that? Does it, or is, now, is that a completely separate issue? Now we're dealing with insecurity. It's over here. The gospel's over here. But we have to understand no, the gospel has something very significantly to say to, toward that. Because what your children, what anybody do, what you're doing as a parent, what I do when I'm insecure, you know what I'm doing? I'm believing a lie. And what's the lie I'm believing? That acceptance and approval from my peers will give me meaning and fulfillment. That's the lie. What's the truth? The truth is, I have all the acceptance and approval I need in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, he's hammering this. That's the truth. That in Christ, the Father accepts you. you. You have the acceptance and the approval that will give you meaning and fill your soul. Do you realize the acceptance and approval of your peers will not fill your soul? It will leave you empty and wanting. But the lie is, it looks tempting. If I could get that, then I would be filled. The truth is, no, you'll only be filled, you'll only have meaning when you understand that you're accepted in the beloved, you're accepted in Christ, you have it already. Now to me, that's incredibly practical in terms of the gospel. Because insecurity is just one of many issues we face. And the gospel says something toward it. There's a lie being believed when we have insecurity. And the truth, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So, what do we do? What do we need to guide our children in is repentance. Repent from that unbelief. Repent from that lie. Repent and turn and embrace the gospel, which says you're already accepted. You already have all that you need, and find it there, and finding it there, you'll be filled. So we need to understand that Jesus truly did come to set the captives free, and he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. But this only happens, only happens as sin and unbelief are taken care of. And when you see sin and unbelief in your children, you know what it's going to cause? You see manifestations. You will not see the fullness of life in Christ. You're going to see anxiety, fear, insecurities, and all kinds of manifestations of it. And when you see that, it's showing you that there is a lie that they're trapped in and they need the truth of the gospel ministered to them. Here's the next thing. Here's something else we have to consider. Because... So we understand that God gives the gospel to these apostles and these prophets. And why? To equip the saints. And you're the saints, and so you're equipped, and you're to go do what with it? You're to minister to one another. What are you to minister to one another? You're to minister the gospel in the nooks and crannies of life and get really good at it. And then what happens as we minister the gospel to one another? What's going on? Well, we start to build one another up in the faith. We start to build one another up in the fullness of Christ, as it says. And then he gives a little bit uh, specific uh, answer as to how that happens. How do we do that? If you look at verse 15, it says we're to speak the truth in love. Chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, so he says this is... You know, instead of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the, and the, cra- and the crafty lies, the cunning crafty, crafting lies and deceitful schemes, it says, rather than being tossed about and being confused by that, rather you're to be speaking the truth in love so that we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which each, each supplies. So what are we to do once we're equipped with this, with this gospel ministry and understand what it accomplishes? We're to speak the truth in love. Now, how many of you, when you've heard that before, speak the truth in love, you think that it means quick rebuke? Like, hey, I've got you know, I, I, I to be honest. That's what I believe for a long time. You, well, how should I talk to them? Well, you need to speak the truth in love. Just tell them the way it is, tell them straight up, and say it in a loving way. Speak the truth in love. Now, not that that's, that's bad counsel or unwise. That's truly wise if you have to correct and rebuke. But this isn't cast in a negative light like somehow, you know, you have an issue and I need to figure out how to tell you that you're lazy um, and that you really need to, to to stop being that way. So I say, okay, how do I do this in a loving way? And so I figure out how, man, I'll just tell them that, you know, I've noticed and... Uh, I've seen some patterns, and so I figure out a clever way to tell them, say, you know what, you've been pretty lazy. Um, no, that's bad. That's not loving. Um, uh, you haven't worked as hard as you possibly can. And so, and so I'm working to try to tell them the truth because they need to hear this in love. Well, that's really not what's going on here at all. And, and actually, the context of everything really helps us to understand when we're speaking the truth in love, it's, he's not jumping onto a whole other subject. We're trying, the whole point and purpose here is to be built up into the fullness of Christ. So we come to a mature manhood in Christ. We'd be mature in the faith. And what we need spoken, the truth that we need spoken to each of us in love, is the truth of the gospel. That's, what we, that's the truth we need. In fact, he goes on to say in this passage in verse 17, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. And so the whole darkness of understanding thing, they don't know. They have There's no truth. It's the opposite. They're filled with futility. They're filled with lies. They're filled with ignorance. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know and understand the truth of the gospel due to the hardness of the heart, it says. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy practice of every kind of impurity. But that's not how you learn Christ, he said. Assuming that you've heard of him. Listen to what he says here. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Did you catch that line? So the, uh, they're, they're filled with ignorance. They are filled. They don't know. That they're filled with darkness. And he says, well, I'm assuming that you've been taught the truth is in Jesus. The truth is that you 're talking is this truth in Jesus this truth about Jesus and the truth that Paul has been proclaiming in this book is that what Je- who Jesus is and what he 's done and what that means for your life do you realize the truth that we need to hear the truth that we need spoken to one another is the truth of the gospel in life situations that 's what we need to hear and this is another way of looking at what I just referred to earlier, which means we have to address the lie, the lie that's being believed and proclaim the truth that is in Jesus. So let me give you another example. Let's say your child is afraid of the dark, which is very common, isn't it? Your child's afraid of the dark. Do you know what that is? When your child is afraid of the dark, they're believing a lie. What are they believing a lie about? Well, they're believing a lie that and that is is believing that somehow there's a power, maybe there's monsters or something in this darkness that can hurt them. So they're they're believing and they're not believing the truth about Jesus. So what what do we need to do in this case? Well, we need to help them to see the truth. We need to speak the truth to them in love. The truth about who Christ is and what, he, and what he came to do. Which means teaching them about the sovereignty of Jesus. Jesus is king of all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He rules it all. Do you know what else? His presence is with you by the Holy Spirit. He's king and ruler of all. His presence is with you by the Spirit. And you know what? The inability of evil or monsters to have power over over you is impossible because you're in Jesus. Do you realize that all evil powers and and principalities and dominions and rulers and demons and no matter what are under the feet of Jesus? And if Jesus says, jump, they, boom, they jump. If Jesus says, be gone, they're gone. At his very word, they must leap. We need to understand that. Oh, we, we, we should laugh at the face of darkness and understand we don't fear him. We don't fear these things. Why don't we fear him? Not just don't fear, you better not fear. Don't fear, you don't need to fear. No, let me tell you the truth is in Jesus. Let me tell you the truth about this, this reality. Jesus is Lord over the darkness. Jesus is with you right now. And Jesus is ruler over any, any principality, power, dominion, and rule. All of it are under his feet. And what happens if a child turns from the lie, repents of